Before we go any further this morning, we need to hear from Joanne Luck. Where is she? There she is. Joanne, come on down. You know, this lady, every year, on several occasions, does a fantastic job of many things, one of which is the, is the uh, for years now, the clothing exchange, both in the fall and in the spring. And she has a special comment to make about clothing exchange. Don't you? I do. Step right up. Step right up. Can everybody hear? Good morning. Um, I'm here to present to you a great opportunity to serve this fall and in the spring. As many of you know, I have been overseeing the clothing giveaway for many years. I can't even remember how long. But it's been a joy, and it's still a joy. But circumstances designate that I have to step down. So that leaves an opportunity for someone to step up in my place to oversee it. Overseeing is not a big job, and you get back so much more. We have served the neighborhood and surrounding areas. Uh, Thousands of people have come through our doors uh, with the clothing that you have donated over the years. Now, please don't stop, (laughs) but I do ask that um, if you have a passion to serve in that kind of an area, whether it be yourself or it would be a great opportunity for some of the small groups to step up and do one in the fall and maybe another group do one in the spring. But if you have a passion for that, please call the office or touch my shoulder and uh, um, I, I can't say enough about it. I've gotten so much out of it. And it I mean, you made me look good, I'll tell you that much. Um, With all the stuff that comes in and and people see the tables that are overloading with clothes and they say, oh, Joanne, you've done so much, and I'm there, oh, (laughs) not really. (laughs) It's the volunteers. So I ask the volunteers, please continue to volunteer. Please bring in the clothes and feel your heart out and and see if you uh, are nudged in that direction. Thank you so much. Personally, I think that Joanne Luck makes us look good. I think she, uh, she's a tremendous servant, has done a fantastic job for years, and I have no doubts but that uh, somebody's going to step up and take her role and that we will continue on to serve the people of our community in a significant way. I would love for you to turn in your Bibles to... It's a hard book to find. It's called Genesis. It's the very first one. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you kind of a a run-through quickly of some things here in Genesis. We are looking at the Old Testament characters for the fall. We're calling this God's story in people. And the fact is that when we think of these great people in the Bible, one of the, the misconceptions we have or a fault that we have in looking at them is that it seems like we automatically think, well, these people are perfect. These people are in the Bible as examples of faith to teach us how we should be. They become our examples. And there's a sense in which that's true. But I I want you to just kind of catch the note this morning, the theme that says, yeah, there are some good things about these people, but it's not all that. Okay? For example, when you look at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, it runs like this. 
Okay, just very quickly. And you can kind of look if you want. Just take your Bible that you're looking at and just kind of go through and see what I'm kind of doing here with it. Genesis 1 and 2 is the creation story, something that God does. You turn to Genesis 3 very quickly, you're going to see the story of the fall, Adam and Eve, something the human beings do. Genesis 4, there's the story of Abel and Cain. Abel's a good guy, Cain not so much. And in fact, Cain ends up killing Abel, a story of murder. Genesis chapter 5, there's a genealogy, talks about the history of Israel. Genesis 6 through 9 is the story of God destroying humankind. And then at the end of that, Noah's sin. Noah's a good guy. God, respond, uh, God calls Noah and he responds in faith. But then there are some also some struggles there. And then Genesis chapter 10, there's again a genealogy, followed in Genesis chapter 11 by the story of humans trying, as the text says, build a tower up to God. And God wants to have nothing of that, and so he ends up scattering the peoples. And the explanation for language groups and races and everything else comes out of the story of the Tower of Babel. So that is very quickly an overview of Genesis 1 through 11. But what I want you to notice this morning is what happens to Genesis 1 through 11 if we take out the stories in which it's really God who is acting, or we take out the genealogies, and we kind of leave there in these stories, the human element. And here's what we find. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of the fall, which you pretty much have to put on, I'm going to say, Adam and Eve's shoulders, not just Eve's. You ever think about what Adam was doing while Eve was going to eat some fruit? Nothing. He's doing nothing. He's standing, doing nothing. He doesn't say, hey, wait, stop. He just participates. And when he sees that it's good, he dives right in. And so Adam is certainly as, as culpable there as Eve is. Genesis chapter 4, again, there's the story of Abel, a story of murder, where Cain ends up murdering his brother. Then in Genesis 6 through 9, we've already mentioned Noah. Noah was a good guy. But really what we have is the story of God destroying humankind, except for Noah and his family, because of their sin. And then even that story ends with Noah uh, participating in sin at the end of the story. And then Genesis th- through 11, the story of humans trying to build a tower to God. Why do they do that? Well, it's a story of, of pride. And God ends up scattering human beings, really, because of this prideful move on their parts to do something in terms of building uh, a tower up to God. So what is it the stories have in common? Most of this is about the sinfulness of human beings. The fact is that there's just a lot more that's evil about human beings in the first 11 chapters of Genesis than there is good. God wants to have a relationship with us, and that's why he created us, but ultimately he's not very pleased, and we tend to do everything we can, it seems, to break that relationship. We just aren't at all what God wants us to be. So what does God do? Well, he certainly punishes sin, But it's always for mankind's benefit that he does so. And it doesn't really matter the circumstance. Whatever the story is, what you find in the story is God ultimately doing something that is filled with grace. So that when Adam and Eve sin, he ends up taking care of them. He takes care of their offspring. He makes sure that their sinfulness doesn't go on in perpetuity by giving them the garden to stay in. They can eat from the tree of life and just stay eternally where they are. He takes them out of all of that. He could have destroyed them right then, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he continues to care. When Cain sins, he makes sure that Cain and his offspring have what are called cities of refuge into which they can go. 
a place where they can be protected and where other human beings who are also sinful won't in fact inflict the kind of punishment on Cain that maybe he deserves because he killed his brother. When humankind becomes totally corrupt in the story of Noah, he actually sends Noah to restart the human race. It's a grace-filled act. The whole story of the ark is not just about destruction. It's also about God's grace. And then when human beings build a tower so as to become like God, he scatters them and in a sense kind of protects them from themselves so they don't continue to do these kinds of things to their cooperation. So here's the story. Human beings choose poorly. And we need a gracious God who will respond sternly when needed, but whose love for us ultimately wins out. Uh, yesterday, I was at a grocery store, and I was walking around, actually getting ready to go through the, the uh, checkout counter, and I heard this kid screaming behind me, as children sometimes do at grocery stores. This is almost proverbial. The child screams you know, in the background, but I want this, I want this, I want this. And the mother says, no, you're not going to get that. Now, normally, for all of us almost, when you say to the kid, no, you're not going to get that, we then have a battle on our hands. And so the child will lay on the grocery store floor and kick and scream and throw a temper tantrum. And then all the other shoppers stop and look at this family. The mothers saying, that poor mother. The children all saying, Yes, give it to him. He needs to get whatever it is he wants. Everybody sees that, that this is going on and, and they respond accordingly in one sense. We're, we're used to this. But what was interesting about this circumstance was that in this case, the mother said no and the kid stopped screaming. And he came over, four years old, whatever he was, and he came over and joined her and they went through the checkout. And that's all there was. Really? <laughs> and there was a reason for that. It's because she said to him, you know what will happen if you don't stop now. And he stopped. Because he knew. This was not her first trip to the grocery store. It was not his first trip to the grocery store. They had an understanding. And what, we, what I witnessed, what everybody else witnessed, is a loving parent who was stern, who clearly knew what punishment was all about, and a child who understood this. And not for a moment, I don't think, said to him or herself, I don't think my mommy loves me anymore. But instead, simply stopped doing what they needed to stop doing. It was a parent who was serious and who followed through. See that this was the most compliant child that's ever been born. Well, this gives us a hint, I think, at where the story in our Bibles is going to go from here. And it sets us up perfectly, I think, for the story of Abraham. In case you don't know anything about Abraham, here's the most crucial part to his story. He was the father of the nation of Israel. And ultimately, he is the father of God's children, wherever they can be, might be. That means, ultimately, that he's also the father, even the ancestral heritage father, of Jesus Christ, both as a literal ancestor and, as an, and an ancestor in the faith. 
It also means that he is part of the people of God, and because we are the people of God, that he ends up being our father in the faith, in the same way that he is the father in the faith of the Jews. And so what he is, and the way in which God interacts with Abraham, sets some kind of precedent, I think, in the way in which God is going to act with us. And so, being the father of faith for Abraham means not just that Abraham believes first, but that's true. It is true that he believes first, but ultimately that he receives grace first. And that really is the point for this morning, that Abraham is, in fact, like you and me. He is the father of the faith, but what's incredible is that he's a human being who is the father of the faith, and not at all a perfect one. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 11, the very end of the chapter. We're going to read a few verses here about Abraham and the promise that was made to him. And the fact is that he listens to God and he receives this promise. Chapter 11, verse 31 in the book of Genesis says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Now, God's not done with Abraham yet, but this sets it up. Verse 1 in chapter 12, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrive there. So there is this foundational, really noteworthy promise that initiates the children of Israel. And Abraham is right at the core of that promise. This is all about, I'm going to do this to you, and this for you, and this to you, and this for you. And Abraham, it's all going to be good for you. And the fact is that there, in some general way, Abraham really does follow this promise, fulfill this promise, and become this. But it's not quite so simple. And here's the reason why. Abraham actually lives out a roller coaster kind of faith. Now, I don't know about you, but roller coasters tend to make me ill. I get scared to death. Fortunately, God is with this man through the roller coaster that he endures, and there are some good things that come out of it. What I want you to do is just kind of flip through your Bible really quickly and follow along with me here as we go through this story quickly of Abraham. We've just read this, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, and the fact is, is that in response to the promise in general, Abraham is judged as faithful. Okay? Ultimately, he's looked at as faithful, but that's not the whole story. And so if you were to look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, you'll find Abraham going down into Egypt. And one of the things that happens while he's there is that he tells a great big lie. 
It's not a little white lie. He lies about who his wife is. It's a big lie. He tells that lie in order to protect himself. And in that, I would say that Abraham is being quite faithless, not trusting in God to save him. He thinks, oh, the Egyptians are going to get me if I don't do this. And so he is willing to lie. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 through 15, 21, and this special part in 15, 4 through 6, I would say that Abraham is faithful. God establishes the covenant with him. He talks about how he's going to continue to make and fulfill these promises to Abraham, and Abraham is going to be his guy, and so he's pretty faithful there. But then he turned to Genesis 16, 1 through 4, 15 and 16, and again, he's faithless. And in this case, God is making a promise. I'm going to give you a son. doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what parts of your body are working all the way they used to. I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham doesn't really believe it, apparently. And neither does his wife. And so they hatch a plan to bring a son about by themselves through the handmaiden Hagar. And they actually carry out that plan. Then at Genesis 17, 1 through 6, again, we see him being faithful. You can follow that story. I'll let you look at that. You can glance at it right now. But you see him being faithful there. Again, talk of covenant. Then in Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, he's faithless again. In fact, you kind of wonder whether or not he learned anything when he went down into Egypt because he does the same thing. Again, he lies about whether or not Sarah is his wife. And he does so in order to protect himself. And then finally, I'll just point you to Genesis 22, 1 through 14. You know this story well. It's the sacrifice of Isaac. And if there's any story that we know Abraham for, it's that one. And he certainly shows his faithfulness there. And I'm grateful that he does. But clearly, this man is not just on a rising tide of faith throughout his life. Some of you might know what a sine curve is. Or for that matter, a cosine curve. Goes on in perpetuity. Up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And that's really what Abraham's life looks like in his response to God. Now we tend to think that Abraham, the father of faith, is just going to be faithful. But Abraham is a human being. Like you are a human being. And so when you see yourself doing this, and you think some days I'm faithful and some days I'm not, and God, other days I'm faithful and sometimes I'm not, it's because you're simply following, get this, the father of faith. He is the precedent for the people of God. And you're being, in one sense, no different than he was. Now, what's wonderful is that ultimately, look at this passage, Genesis chapter 22. Ultimately, Abraham is faithful. And God actually commends him as being faithful. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, because he was willing to sacrifice his own son, this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. 
That is virtually the same promise that was there in the beginning in Genesis chapter 12. And so Genesis chapter 12, a promise is made and Abraham appears to be pretty faithful to that promise. Genesis 22, the same declaration is made. In between you see this for 10 chapters. But in the end, Abraham ends up being faithful. And so much of that has to do not just with Abraham's willingness to be faithful, but with God being gracious to Abraham, ultimately, no matter what Abraham is doing. And so we could talk about Adam and Eve today. We could talk about Noah, Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon. We could go on. There's a sense in which all these stories are going to have this common element. We're not looking at a whole host of personalities today, but in all these stories runs a common theme. God's faithfulness to people who are not always faithful. They all have in common that there's some base level of trust there. But it's the Lord's grace which is needed, which is needed to shower down upon them in order for them to be what God needs them to be. And Abraham is absolutely no different. And so you think to yourself, man, this guy, he he took a, a knife and put his son down on the stone and was going to kill him. And it's only the angel that stopped him from doing so. And it looks like he's so faithful to God, even willing to sacrifice his son. But it wasn't always that way. And that gives me hope. You know, since I was 27 years old, I've had one major goal in my life. And that's been the building up of the church in Western Canada. Much of what I've wanted to do in my life, much of what I've done, has been oriented toward that end. The fact is, I love the church in Western Canada. I love the Stone Campbell movement in Western Canada. I love the church. My working career has had that one goal. I've tried to be faithful to that. And I can't think of anything more valuable to the kingdom than spending my life doing that. But here's what I know. I know that I'm not perfect. Sometimes the human, faithless side of me steps to the forefront. Sometimes my human frailties get the better of me. Sometimes I fail miserably. Sometimes I want to give up. Sometimes I don't know what the next step should be. Sometimes I question God. Sometimes I wonder why he doesn't do this or why he doesn't do that. Sometimes I get mad at myself. Sometimes I blame myself. Sometimes I get mad at you. And you might think, well, Kelly, you know, he's, he's old enough now and he's been a Christian long enough now. He should have all this figured out. Things should be pretty level with him. But I find in my own life there are times when I'm like this. And you know what God does with that? God continues to love me. God continues to care for me. God continues to bless my efforts, even when it's not deserved. I'm like Abraham. Sometimes I want to step in and I want to make God's decisions for him. I want to push God's timing. I want to do something that God's responsible for. And sometimes I just need to relax and trust him. But the faithless 
the faithless side of me keeps popping out despite his faithfulness to me. And the question this morning is, what about you? I mean, I'm asking the same question at the same time you are. What about you, Kelly? What about you? Like, you know in your own lives, just like me, that you're like this. And you have those times when you're just feeling like, oh, I'm so faithful. I'm finally doing what God wants me to be. And five minutes later, not so much. And yet we know that God, in the midst of that, still loves and cares and is faithful and is going to do something through you for him that you never would have dreamt possible could be done through such a weak vessel as you. And I believe that Abraham was exactly the same way. So what about you? You know, most of the things I think that happen negatively in people's lives happen because of their low self-images. Like people respond almost always to what is in themselves a low self-image. And so they can't see themselves doing wonderful things for God or God even really ultimately loving them that much and being so faithful to them because we all think poorly of ourselves. But what if we were to start just saying, okay, that's who I am. I've blown it again. But God loves me every time anyway. God loves us all out every time, expecting and hoping the best. And ultimately, he sends his son And he knows when he sends him that we're not always going to honor him. He knows that sometimes we're going to bail on him. But even knowing that, still, he sends Jesus. Even though we don't love him as we should. And he sends him anyway. It's a story of God's love for human beings. God sends Jesus anyway, even when we're like that.
I am your faithful son, and you are my faithful father. You are my altar and I, my faithful provider. You gave me Isaac and you gave me the sacrificial lamb. You spared my son, my only son of promise, and provided your sacrifice instead. At the altar, my life is an offering to you. May your promise be fulfilled in me, as you have said. Isaac, read up. He wasn't perfect by a long shot, neither are we. But he was faithful. And God evaluated him as so. We can be evaluated the same way as faithful people, though not perfect. Praise the Lord that that's where we stand. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the privilege today of gathering in your name, although we, we don't deserve it. There's so much we don't deserve. Sometimes, God, we're, we're down and faithless. Other times, we're up and faithful. What we need through all those times is your faithfulness, which is always there. And for that today, we thank you. Thank you for the example of Abraham, who, who isn't a perfect human being, but just a human being, and ultimately a faithful one. We praise you for Jesus, who ultimately also is faithful and who makes faithfulness a possibility and a reality in our own lives. We pray these things through him. Amen.